You're listening to Operant Innovations, a podcast brought to you by ABA Technologies. This month on the University Series, we are talking with Dr. Nicole Carr from the University of Oklahoma about their two different behavior analysis programs. So today we are talking with Dr. Nicole Carr from the University of Oklahoma, and I'm very excited to hear about the program. So thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you for having us. And I'm going to pass it right over to you to jump into a general overview of the program. Excellent. So at the University of Oklahoma, our program has been here for about eight or nine years. Um, I've been there for about five. And we have two options for our program. You can either go through it as just the certification program, so seven courses in order, or you can take it in conjunction with the master's in special education and get your master's in SPED and kind of with the ABA track and those classes are embedded. Um, We do only offer them in order. So there's not an overlap of classes. So it does take the two full years or this um, six full semesters to get finished from start to scratch. But um, that is uh, kind of how OU has laid it out for now. Hopefully, if we grow, then we can offer, you know, multiple classes and, and overlap them and things like that. But uh, our, do you want me to talk about pass rate? I don't know. Sure. Okay. So, and I say that because I'm super proud. The numbers just came out yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Yeah. Um, for this past year, but we had 14 students take it um, and 11 of them passed it. And that was, it was kind of a weird year. Yeah. It was a weird year because we had um, some who were, going off of the expired, uh, like fourth edition, um, we're leaving out. So that was, we were, it was number 4040 was our program number there. And of those students, five of seven who took it for the first time passed it. And we don't have big numbers. So if one person doesn't pass it, it really kind of, kind of hits that percentage pretty hard. But for the group that took the most recent version, so that fifth edition task list um, approval that we had, Uh, those who started it and basically finished it in the two years and then tested right after we had six of seven pass. And so that pass rate was closer to 85%. Um, And I think what the difference there is those, that 40, 40 group, they took about three years. They did their coursework either a little slower or they did their coursework. And then it took them a little longer to do supervision hours. And so that content just wasn't as fresh, but I'm still really proud of all of them who took it and were able to pass it. But that pass rate is, um, the national pass rate right now, 60%. And so either way, we were way above the average. So I was pretty proud about that. Yeah. And that's something to definitely be proud of. Mm -hmm. And there is one thing that I like to clarify too, in the overview is, is the program online, hybrid, Mm -hmm. in person, what should people expect from those two different options? Excellent. So that's a great, great uh, point. So our program, I always tell people there's a perfect program for everyone. And um, like there's three programs in the state of Oklahoma and all of us are very different. And so our program, for example, is synchronous online. And so one night a week for almost three hours, you get to get on face to face with me and we, I lecture just like you were in a classroom. We work in groups, just like we were in a classroom. It's just over zoom. Um, Oklahoma has a lot of rural uh, areas. And so it's really difficult, even though OU is right in the middle of the state, given how spread out everything is in our state, it it would just be near impossible to get the, to build the capacity at the rate that we are if we had it in person. So um, it is a synchronous online 
program. Wonderful. And I'm really excited to jump into some of the, who are the faculty who's teaching in the program? Um, what are, you know, what are the potential interests that they have that the students can, you know, learn about and from those faculty members? Sure. So we have a pretty unique, um, I guess, area of specialty for some of the faculty here. Uh, Kendra Williams-Dean and uh, Mary uh, Barzak works over with her and they're in the Zorro Institute and they work with transition. So that's kind of an area that a lot of people forget about, but just because there's kiddos who have autism at two, three, and four who need to learn a bunch of skills, they still need a bunch of skills at 16, 17, and 18. And so they've been working really hard to build up uh, a whole program related and around transition from the classes that they teach within SPED all the way down. And then the other thing that is really interesting with them is they have a series called Sooner works, which is a uh, program where they're able to bring in, I don't remember the numbers, five or six maybe students who have intellectual disabilities, Down syndrome, autism, et cetera, but they are, they go through college. They, um, there's a ton of supports in place, you know, to help them become independent those first few years, especially in kind of shaping up and prompting and all these things that need to go into it to help them be successful. And they take classes and they go to football games and they can join sororities and fraternities if they want. Uh, but SoonerWorks has been an amazing addition to the university. Um, and it's all through uh, Kendra and Mary's work. And Mindy Lingo is over there. She's a BCBA, <clears throat> excuse me. And so they're all doing some pretty amazing things over there. And then, um, I mean, our program, our special ed program in its core is only six, I say only six faculty. It's, it's a pretty big faculty. And five of us are actually BCBAs. And so, and then you've got Mindy, who's a BCBA and she's not even part of the core faculty. Um, so I'm going to start with the, the guy who's not a BCBA, who kind of, he's an honorary BCBA. So Corey Peltier, he teaches our single case design. And this guy knows more about single case than any BCBA I know. Um, he was happy to jump in and teach that class and ask me like, what's on the task list? What do they need to know specifically? So I can be sure that that's, that this class is for your students, but also it encompasses other like, you know, SPED um, students and some other students that take it, doc students take it and that sort of thing. But um, he is so energetic. He publishes all the time on single case. Um, some of his recent work was looking at graphs and how people screw those up <laughs> basically and and how they sometimes maybe they screw them up on purpose to you know make them say what they don't want and he even came down to a rotary once that I was host I, I'm in rotary and he was my guest speaker and he came and he talked about graphs to all these people at rotary and they were fascinated I was like oh no graphs what if they're so bored and they weren't the next week they're like Nicole I was watching the news and they were screwing up those graphs. Like they actually, you know, had learned so much from Corey. So he, uh, he publishes with BCBAs. He publishes in behavior analytic journals. Um, his last name, P-E-L-T-I-E-R, Peltier. Uh, and he's, he's just, he's killing it. He's young and he's energetic and he's doing really great stuff. Um, Brittany Hott, H-O-T-T. She is passionate about uh, rural education. And so like she was working on grants to get teachers who were in rural schools um, grant money to come back to school. Uh, she's worked to become like BCBAs or speech path or school counselors, whatever. There's no capacity in some of these towns. And y'all don't know, probably those of you listening about Oklahoma, but we have 
a large portion of emergency certified teachers and permanent, you know, substitute teachers and all sorts of um, folks who are in schools and thank God they're willing to help us. But that doesn't mean we have the, the education that's needed necessarily in those positions. And so for those teachers who are willing to stay in Oklahoma and kind of deal with all the things that come with that here in Oklahoma, um, she's trying to find ways to get them money so that they can come back to school for free to them, you know, for free to them so that they can get more education in whatever area that they're passionate about. But she, um, she does a lot of program management and um, program assessment. She teaches statistics classes and she has a ton of doc students that are doing some really amazing things. She, if you want a, a doc supervisor, if you want to be a doc student somewhere, like she, she will help you have publications. You will come out being able to be a professor wherever you want to be a professor, um, especially if you're passionate about rural education and dissemination. She's, um, she's a great partner for that. Um, who am I forgetting? Emily. Emily Kuntz, she is a rock star at FBA development and in um, teacher, working with teachers and working in schools. So, <clears throat> excuse me, most of our faculty are school centric um, as far as like putting ABA in the schools and what that looks like and how that looks. And so Emily is one more who does that. She works um, to make sure that teachers understand how to take the data how to um, collect it so that it means something, not just to collect it, to collect it, but to make sure that it, it, it's translating into an appropriate intervention and then taking the data to see if it's working or not. And if it's not working, what do we do about that? And so she's really um, working hard in the schools. And then, like I said, Mary does a lot over with the transition um, program over in the Zorro. And so I don't think Mary's yet taking doc students. So she, uh, you can't, you can't come on board and work with Mary yet, but she is doing an amazing job of getting her feet wet. She's been with us for a couple of years and she's um, going to start that process, I think pretty soon, but she's um, really, uh, her teaching skills have been honed lately. She does a lot of uh, work with those transition kids as well. And I, think I've covered everyone. Yes. Oh, me. And I just, yeah. one person. there's me. <laughs> there's me. And I, um, I just, uh, not just, I hate when people say that, so I won't say it either, but, uh, I oversee the program, the ABA program. And, um, my husband calls it my baby. And, uh, I, I don't know. I'm just passionate about the students coming out of our program and being well-rounded enough. In Oklahoma, most students go in, they end up in clinics, unfortunately, not just in schools. And I say unfortunately, because we need them in all the places. Um, but, uh, and so I try to make our students who come out of the program well-rounded enough that whatever supervision specification they go into, that they're prepared for that. And, um, so we uh, keep modifying, you know, fine tuning the program as we go. And pretty soon we'll be meeting those um, ABAI, BACB changes that are needed as far as getting us to just a full blown masters um, and not just that seven course certification program as dictated by all the changes that are coming down the pipe. <laughs> so that's um, kind of the next big chunk of work. I think we have excuse me, a, a conference. We just put on our first Oklahoma-based OU ABA conference um, in September, early September. And we were able to bring in some great um, speakers. Um, and so that was really 
I think in a, an amazing opportunity. One, I, I was given two doc students, which was fabulous. Brittany Hot, let me borrow two of her doc students. And so they helped me and they got, so they got to learn a little bit of that kind of management part of it. And we got to bring in Derek Reed. He came down from Kansas and he was our keynote and he did a great job of really showing how this is what we read in articles and this is how it looks in application. And we got to make sure that that connection is always there. Um, so he was fabulous. Shala came up from UNT. She did amazing. And uh, Becca Tag came down from or came over. Uh, she's over on the side of the United States. She came over. Um, we had Gayla Martin. She was fabulous. I mean, just everybody Leslie Schaller came over as well. So all these people were willing to come to Oklahoma um, and teach us because Oklahoma is very new uh, to ABA because insurance, as, you, as everybody knows, listening to this, um, there's not as many BCBAs in states where there's not insurance reform to get paid because nobody's going to go into a industry where they can't get paid, right? So about five years ago is when insurance reform finally hit Oklahoma and thus created a, a, a need um, you know, and a way to get paid for it. So autism clinics are everywhere right now. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So this, this conference was really a great opportunity for us to bring in people from the outside world to teach us because we're like sponges here right now. And whether you're like me and you're a dinosaur in this field, or you're brand new and you're that 50% that are under five years, you know, what, no matter where you are in your career, you can always learn more. So it was that conference, I think was really fabulous for that purpose. And it, it allowed people to see that OU does have this, this program and we're interested, you know, if anybody was an RBT at a clinic or something of that nature, um, or a para in a school that we do have a place for you. Well, and I mean, I think those conferences are absolutely crucial because like you said, especially with clinics and schools and other interested parties in the area or in the state as well. When I was in clinical years ago, um, our Behavior Analysis Association of Michigan conference is always held at Eastern Michigan mm -hmm. University. And we would always actually close down the clinic and home services and school services for a day to send all of our staff. That's awesome. Um, whether or not, you know, they were an RBT or mm -hmm. a student or even interested in going mm -hmm. further in their education, um, we shut it down because if you're working in our clinic, this is something that we prioritize and you're going to come with us. <laughs> awesome. So that brings me to, I know you talked about some of the changes that are happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so one of the questions that I always ask, and it kind of relates to that as well, is what are the current practicum opportunities for, for the students? Yeah, so I would love to say that we have all these practicum opportunities, but because most of our students take it as um, either embedded within SPED and there's no wiggle room for another class, or is just the certificate um, and therefore there's no extra space for those classes. Now in the future, we will be adding that as a because it's a requirement. Um, but yeah, right now, that's, that's, that's a no, not right now. Now we do have opportunities like if a student comes to me and they say, hey, I can't find a supervisor because there's not a huge capacity in Oklahoma for you know, supervision. Um, I have a list of like, you know, folks in the state and tele supervision that I trust and that I know have a curriculum and they're not just like, yeah, send me money and I'll sign your papers, um, which is unfortunate, but I've heard one too many stories about happening. And so I, um, I very carefully uh, recommend people, you know, get, add people to this very list. But um, 
yeah, so currently we don't have that. How about the, I know we kind of talked about semi the student experience, but um, with, you know, the online synchronous, what can, like, what do students experience when they come into the program? What are the expectations? I know too that you've been mentioning some of the PhD opportunities Mm -hmm. as well. So what is that student experience and expectations of when you, you know, when students do enter into the program? Perfect. So even though we're an online program, um, we're Oklahoma. So we're very friendly down here, right? Um, we have good stakes and we're very friendly people. So that's like what I always say about Oklahoma, but we, excuse me. So because it is online, you get a whole lot of me. Um, I oversee the program. And so as soon as you're in the program, the first class, uh, depending on there's two classes you can start with. I prefer people start with ethics since you're beholden to that the first minute of the first class. Um, but that's a summer course and not everybody has that opportunity either has planned to start in July because they think, oh, August, right? August is when school starts. And so they haven't made that plan, um, which is totally fine. But if I can get them to start in July and take that take the ethics course, that's what I prefer. But if not, then they start with philosophical assumptions, which is with my colleague, Emily. And she is super fabulous. Um, Sometimes Sarah teaches it. It just kind of depends. But we get into that nitty gritty of that philosophy. And even though I'm not teaching that class, you'll, the students have still heard of me. They've still interacted by email with me. Um, I, unfortunately, whether they want it to be or not, I am their point person. So it ends up being a whole lot of me because I also teach, I think three, three of the class, three of the four classes. And so, and I don't want to teach any more than that because you want like the whole gamut of experiences. Right. And so, excuse me. So they, but I'm the second class. So if they get through that first class and then they get to see my bright shining face, you know, weekly for three hours. And what we have hoped is that by that point through email communication, phone calls, if we need to zoom, if we need to, they have that rapport established so that by the time they're in that second class with me, they can ask all the questions. They can feel okay about feeling dumb about something, right? Like, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Can you help me with this? Or how does this relate to the clinic? Or how does this relate to the school or this particular student? Because I don't, I'm not making the connection, right? Because that's kind of hard to do when you're just over a screen. But um, most of our classes are either Mondays or Thursday evenings. And we have like a 4.30 start time and a 7 p.m.-ish start time. These are all like have a 15 minute wiggle room or so. But they would log in. You get, you know, chit chat for the first 10 minutes or so. Like I call it housekeeping. Like this is what you're supposed to do. Let's see if you did it. This is how I graded. This is how it went. Um, And then you jump into, in all of us, I I think I would speak for myself and all of my colleagues, that it is you spend a ton of time in your small groups. So even though you're in this online world and most people feel like they're just being lectured at, we have a, we do a great job, both myself and anyone else teaching in the program of, okay, this is what we just learned get in and apply it within your small groups and then come back and give me your take takeaway message, you know? And so there is that, I think my students still graduate at the end of the two years and feel like they have coworkers, friends, peers, colleagues, like they end up in group chats, they get together to talk about stuff before exams together. Um, And so when they come together that May, 
their second May in the program for graduation. I always go up, we take a big picture together. They're like hugging. They're like, oh my gosh, you're so tall or short or, you know, like in real life, because they've never actually seen each other standing up. You know, um, It's always like from the shoulder up is all you ever see. And so that is such a great experience. It warms my heart to see all of them because most of them, I'd say 80 to 90% of them are in Oklahoma. So they're at some point going to be colleagues or interact or see each other at conferences or whatever. We have a ton of students from the Tulsa area. And so while they're not currently in the same school, that doesn't mean they won't end up with the same students at some point, you know, as they graduate from the elementary level to the middle school level. And so I think that building in ways for them to fill camaraderie or we do a couple of networking events every year. Um, I'll drive up to Tulsa. We'll all get together, anybody who can. And that gives them a chance to meet in person without like academics, you know, being the focus. And then we do one in either Norman or Oklahoma City as well um, at, at a different time of year for the same purposes. Like let's get people involved. Um, the other cool things that we do, at least I think they're cool. Um, <laughs> one is in May, we have what's like, what would be a job fair? I get all the clinics and all the positions that I can find for BCBAs to meet for one of their classes for those who are about to graduate. And each of those folks get about seven minutes because if you like, I know it doesn't sound like very much, but they get seven minutes to come on and explain why they're the best and why everybody should go work for them. And then they disappear. And then I talk to my students and I'll be really frank. I actually tell my students not to take some of the positions that will be offered because they're above they're above what they know, right? So um, Oklahoma is so new uh, to the clinical space that there's a lot of, you know, supervising directors, clinical directors, supervising clinicians. I'm like, you haven't even been a clinician yet. Like they're going to dangle a carrot. And I've asked them not to dangle that carrot to you. I'm asking you not to eat the carrot, you know, like it'll be so hard, but you won't know what you don't know. And you're going to wake up one morning and be like, oh my gosh, how did I get here? And you're going to call me and you're going to ask me for my ethical advice. And I'm going to tell you, oh, dang. And I'll do my darndest not to say I told you so. But then I'm going to say, here's, you know, here's what we should do. But I think that we, we build in a ton of interactive experiences with the community, a ton of interactive experiences with the various faculty so that they're getting more than just Monday night lecture. Here we go. Um, so that they're prepared for some of those soft skills when they um, do get out of the program a couple of years later. And take it from somebody who started in a clinic mm -hmm. right after right after they graduated and within six months, the only other two BCBAs left. So clinical director yep. I was. <laughs> yeah. It is a lot and mm -hmm. it is a steep learning curve. Yeah. And you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> and that that's the exact quote that I use. Yeah. And it's yeah, it was just so much and I had to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't wish that. Yeah, <laughs> and, so, and some people, I'm sure Shauna, you were one of them, can handle that. And some folks are going to, they're going to drown. And you don't want that to be your first experience, especially in a field where burnout is so high and self-care is so low and these things. And so, especially if you're a person that doesn't do that well, if you don't manage your time well, if you don't manage your like headspace well, um, and you're all consuming with your job, for example, then that will be not a place that you thrive or want to be at and stay at. And for, if I'm only going to pr produce, you know, 14 BCBAs a year out of my program and the other OU programs put um, maybe five or so into our state. Um, that's a problem, right? Like I can't have 
20 enter the field and five leave every year. Like we're just going to run, run in a rat, rat wheel. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like just circle, circle, circle. Um, and, and not actually build the capacity that we need. Well, and I was going to say, I guarantee that granted, I don't have data for this, but I guarantee that, that, that contributed to my very fast burnout of being mm-hmm. done with clinical. Yeah. You're not there now. Are you? No. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. um, as much as, you know, maybe I've gone back every mm-hmm. now and then to be, you know, like an independent contractor, mm-hmm. I started again and I'm like, nope. Yep. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. Um, so, so yes, it's, I think really, you know, that is some very, very good advice for students is dip your toes in before you jump into the deep end, please. For everybody's sake, for the client's sake, your sake, my sake, because I'm the one that gets the phone calls, you know. (laughs) And um, so I know that in that you kind of talked about the location, Mm -hmm. too, and how most of the students right now are in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So you do have the option to, you know, come and meet and, you know, get to know everybody and build your network, which is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Um, How about describing a little bit of the location? Because I know that you mentioned Tulsa, but I do know that the University of Oklahoma is actually in Norman. It is. Yes. So Norman is a, it is your college town. It is it's a college town that does have a city around it. So it's not just a college town. I've been to those and this is a little bit different. It is, it's a big, um, it's a small city, I guess is the best way to say it. And it's got little pockets of really cute neighborhoods. Um, but Norman is right in the middle of Oklahoma. Um, if you on a map can picture where Oklahoma city is, which is right in the middle. Um, it's about 20, depending on what part of Oklahoma city, 20 or 30 minutes away from Norman. And so you've got this big old city right North of us. Um, and then some of the suburbs, if that's the right word of Oklahoma city are going to include like Edmond and Guthrie. So Edmond Guthrie, Oklahoma city, and then coming down I 35, which is our main highway, you have more and then Norman. And so that's kind of the main thoroughfare of clinics, treatment, where BCBAs live and the whole nine yards. Then you've got another pocket, which is Tulsa, which is the upper east part of the state. And there's a big pocket of BCBAs and clinics there as well in Owasso and Tulsa and all these areas. So we have a ton of students that come out of schools that are, I call them Tulsa schools, but they're, you know, those in the surrounding area, 15 to 20 minutes out as well. And then this huge pocket right down the middle of the state which is great, except that there's a whole big state outside of those areas. And so there's a couple of clinics down in what's called Ardmore, um, which is right at the, like, right almost to the Texas line. It's, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes to the Texas line. And so you've got some clinics that are down there and then one or two at the east side and one, I think on the west side, and then two up on the northwestern-ish side. But like, there's an entire panhandle that as far as I know, has no services being provided, you know, and large where you can drive two hours and have no services being provided in any direction. And so for these poor parents that are waking up and like, there's someone who lives here in town and they'll like, got to take my kid to school and they'll like pack their own lunch and their kid's lunch because school is the autism clinic that's an hour and a half away. So they'll drive up to the clinic, do a whole day, you know, up there, they're eating in their car. We joke about like, you know, BCBAs driving home to home to home and eating in their car. We have parents who do the same, right? Because they might not have all this money to eat at restaurants while their kid is getting services. So 
they're eating in the car, the kid is getting services, they have to drive all the way back home after your kid is exhausted from all day learning, that can be a really, really difficult drive home, you know? And so I think one of the things that we have to do in Oklahoma is not only build capacity in schools, because that's a great place where there's schools everywhere. So if people in schools knew what they were doing more than those kids who are in these more rural areas or these pockets of nothing, you know, no service. If we could in the schools build folks who know what's going on ABA wise and, and even just the basic education of what are kids who have autism, intellectual disabilities, what's going on with their brain? What does behavior look like? How do those correlate? My PhD is in behavioral neuroscience. So I'm very fascinated in that connection between the two, um, which is a little different than a lot of VCBAs. But um, they, if we could help more people understand even just the basics, those kids who have, would otherwise have to drive two to three hours to find services could get something where they are now more than they already do. Um, I totally derailed from the question that you asked, but yes, most of the services and students are in that middle corridor and then Tulsa where there's just so much need. OU is about to launch a new program called OU Online and its job is to reach out to these communities where the billboards are not on the side of the highway, you know, for OU's programs. And so they're going to reach out into these smaller communities and be like, Hey, we have this, do you know about it? Um, and basically they're a marketing, um, way, <laughs> they're a way for us to get marketing into these communities that otherwise it would be me or my colleagues driving to all of these schools. And we just can't do that. And so when OU online takes over some of the marketing for our program, hopefully that will help us get more, they call it butts in the seat, right? More butts in the seat who are excited and motivated to complete this program so that they can be the person for their school. Well, and I know that you said you, you think you deviated from the original question, but I think <laughs> that that is really pivotal to describing the environment of Oklahoma and where mm -hmm. they are right now with that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not necessarily, you know, only about the the location of the university and going to campus because like you said this is I mean and this is the reason for this podcast series not every program is for every person mm -hmm. and the you know like what I like to call the well not even me but just in general people call the flyover states mm -hmm. people don't know what's really there mm -hmm. and I think it's really imperative to for people to know that there are you know, it's really easy to go to California or Florida or Michigan or New Jersey or Pennsylvania um, to get, you know, some of these, some of these like larger populations. And, mm -hmm. but there's a huge, huge need in these fly. Nobody can see me. <laughs> Your air quotes, nobody my can air see. Quotes. <laughs> my air quotes, nobody can see um, these flyover states where there is a huge need for these services. Mm -hmm. And with the growing demand, there's going to be a huge need for people to relocate travel to mm -hmm. these locations. And so I think you personally did a really good job of describing Oklahoma, you know, where the university is, but also where the needs are. Mm -hmm. And and how there's a lot of discrepancies as well with yeah. not just these billboards. There's mm -hmm. all of these different rural areas that yeah. are in need mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, 100%. There's um, one of the grants that Brittany was working on um, was attempting for this rural 
you know, component. And we reached out, I think we only reached out to maybe five. No, I personally reached out to five. And then another colleague reached out to probably another five or seven schools. And we were just like, would you have anybody who wanted to get a free master's in behavior analysis or something? And like, and I'm talking tiny schools, like one grade per school type of schools, you know, and I don't know if y'all do sports, but here everything's like based around sports so It's like a one, a school versus two or three, or, you know, so these little tiny one, a schools and some even smaller than that, where they consolidate, you know, um, they're like, uh, yeah, in our school, we have two to five that would be totally taking you up on that. So imagine you only have like 10 teachers total, you know, at the whole school potentially. And you've got two to five of them who are like, yes, sign me up because they know that the need is there. And so it's not that people don't want the education. It's that they have teacher salaries and therefore can't afford in many cases, this extra education. And I think that that's just imperative because I mean, those are the individuals who are going to be able to make some of the largest impacts, especially on the student population. Yep. Six and hours a day with those kids. Let's oh, give yeah. you the skills you need. 100%. Oh, yes. mm-hmm. um, and so how now if people are interested <laughs> in applying to the program, um, what does, I know this may be pretty standard, a pretty standard question, but what does that application process look like? Are there interviews involved? Um, what can people, ex- you know, when are those due dates for the application? Oh, you, now you're asking the actual hard questions. I know. So yeah, we're have to pull out <laughs> some numbers and dates. Right? Yeah. So we are kind of revamping things. Um, we did have a rolling admission um, because you could start uh, either in summer or you could start in fall and sometimes we'd let you start in spring. And now we're really pulling that back and saying, you can start in that July class for that ethics, or you can start in fall. And that's really what we want people to do is those two start times. And so, um, I don't, we had three different start dates listed in three different places. So I'm not really sure what we ended up going with. Welcome to like bureaucracy, like trying to get stuff changed can take forever on a website. Right. And so I'm not sure what they ended up going with, but I would say if you're wanting to start in fall that you'd be, it would behoove you to have your admissions packet completed by, you know, the May area. Um, and I, I need to like look up the actual deadline, but the um, you go on to go to OU, click that you want to, you know, uh, apply for the grad program. And it will make you at the very beginning. It's like, OK, you want a master's in SPED? Excellent. Um, these are the three tracks. And we have a generalist track where you're kind of learning a little bit about all the things. Um, a transition track where you're learning, you know, about those ABA skills for those little bit older kids um, and young adults, and then the ABA track. So if you're wanting to do ABA, you would click that and it would kind of send you my way. Um, And then my way, Greg Hanley would be so impressed right there. And so it sends you my way. And then uh, Mary is the person that we've kind of tasked with all the admission stuff on our end. Um, and so she goes through it, make sure that you have your letters of recommendation uploaded, that you put your transcripts in there. It's, it's the very basic, right? So you're going to write a letter about why you want to be in the program, what motivated you to, to be in this program, that sort of thing. And then all the standard, you know, tra- transcripts are required. I think that we have two letters of rec um, that is changing, I believe, to we email someone and they can fill out some Likert skill questions instead of writing a letter. I know as somebody who is asked often to write letters, I would way rather fill out a Likert skill. So maybe that would be easier for folks um, to do for them. And then, and really, how many people send terrible letters of rec? 
to schools for admission, right? Like you don't ask people who hate you to write letters of recommendations. So, um, so you do have to have those letters of rec. And then once we change, it'll be the Likert. And then, uh, and then we just, if you have a, I think it's a 3.0 or less, then we may follow up with some questions and ask for more from you just to kind of see where you were. If this was from 10 years ago, then we don't weigh that as heavy and we weigh all your other stuff heavier than if this was like you just graduated and you have a two five and it's just because you kind of didn't care about school. Right. So we're going to have that conversation with you to figure out why your GPA was what it was. Um, maybe you had a baby in the middle of a semester and you tanked those last classes. Okay. That makes a whole lot of sense. I've had a baby. I'd have tanked all my classes when I had the twins, you know? Um, and so we're going to have those conversations with you if it's not um, up to what our like typical students are. Um, it doesn't mean you can't get in. We just want to learn more about you and maybe the reasons why it's all about the antecedents. Right. And so let's, let's talk about what happened there. And then um, after we go through all of those, uh, we don't have interviews at this time. We haven't outside of like, if we see that maybe the GPA is a little low or, or something of that, or we can just call in informally talk to you. And then if everything looks good, then you get to be in the program. It's, it's a fairly painless, I think process. I do think there's a small application fee. So I'm not going to lie to you and guess as to how much that is, but if you ever want to apply to the program and the admissions fee is not something that you can handle um, for whatever reason, I, I would almost promise that if you reached out to us, we'd find a way to help you with that. Um, we do have a small fund that we can do small things with. And so we don't ever want that $50 or what it, whatever it might be to be inhibitory to anybody who wants to be in the program. And that's wonderful to hear. And um, I know that a lot of places have recently, you know, been changing some of their application mm -hmm. requirements and things like that. So, um, Which is like, well, we used to, and now, yeah. So no. sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all new. It, it's all in flux. That's why I know for a while there, you know, we got into this routine that it was just like, okay, this like mm -hmm. standard yeah. mm -hmm. and then the pandemic happened and then it just yeah. <laughs> now it's all over the place. Yes. It's all over the place. Um, okay. So we've talked about, you know, general overview the faculty, their research interests and their, you know, the applied interests, um, the developing of the practicum opportunities, um, student experience and expectations, the location, interview application. And so we've gotten to the point where is there anything else you want to make sure people know? Um, oh, I did want to go back to the doc thing. Yes. Because oh, I brought yes. that up. Yes. So there are opportunities often where there's grant money available for doc students. Um, in fact, most of the doc students we have right now are on various grants that they, that, you know, they applied for and got, excuse me. And, um, but like some of the doc students are full-time, like this is your job. You, there's money built into the grant to pay you to go to school. You're going to do this full-time and be done. And then there's another grant, for example, where it's for part-time students. And so there's not one size fits all type of a situation related to the doctorate students. And also to be very clear, our doctorate is in special ed, but you can like focus where you want to, right? So within reason, obviously. <laughs> so like we have some who are really very interested in um, 
prompting chaining shaping of the of students who go to college who need those that extra help right and then we have some other students who are working on self-management and how do we use that self-management to help students and we have some students who are very interested in um oh my gosh what is the other thing oh supervision and training for supervision because there's some crappy supervision out there so how do we like work on that skill because that is a skill right it's a skill to deliver it well and give that feedback well and it's also it's a skill to be sure that you're doing it effectively um and so what does that look like and so we have some grad students who are working on that and then i think Isela is working on like i don't know the exact topic but she's bilingual and so she's really working hard on can we translate some of these documents over well what does that look like when you're working with a parent um does this trans like culturally does this translate like it should, like is the meaning and intention the same once it's translated? And so she's doing some work there. She just gave her first presentation and she was very nervous, but she did great. And um, Kevin, I have no idea what Kevin's going to end up working on, but he, um, he's been in clinics and he's, he's just a rock star. And, and like I said, Sarah's a, she's, she's already a BCBA and so is Kevin and so is Acela. So they're their BCBAs already, they finished the program and then they actually came back because they liked it so much and they want their doctorate. So, and there's other doc students that I don't know as well that, as those three. Um, Jasmine, she is really working hard with Brittany Hot as well. So there's oftentimes there's room and sometimes of course there's not, you know how doc programs work. Um, but if you're ever interested, if you can get in touch with me or just look up any of the faculty at OU, all of us we all know each other. We all sit around the same table once a month, you know, and so you can reach out and say, basically, do you have any room? That's how I got to be a doc student. I reached out to a bunch of different folks in biopsych programs and said, hey, do you need a doc student? And half of them were like, hell no. And some of them were like, heck yes, you know, so they um, I, I went and interviewed at those people who were interested. And that's how I got where I am. And so don't be hesitant or, or yeah, don't be hesitant. Don't be afraid. Reach out and say, hey, I'm really interested in rural ed or I'm really interested in FBA development in schools. Do you have room? And if they don't have room right then, they'll put you on a list. And when a grant does open up, they'll reach back out. And I think that that's a great, a great, um, you know, addition to the podcast, because I know that some people may think that, you know, PhD people have heard plenty about PhD right yeah <laughs> your PhD and um from my experience I think things are changing a lot personally um and it's not only that you know going to get your PhD you get the doctor in front of your name mm -hmm. and this and that we also need if you're interested in training if you're interested mm -hmm. in supervising we're going to need people in PhD at PhD levels to go into universities and continue to train up these, these future supervisors and future yep. trainers mm -hmm. as well. And so it's, that's just imperative also. Um, Agreed. Yeah. So <laughs> anything else you want to make sure okay, that now I think I'm done. done. <laughs> okay. So that's okay. No, that's okay. It's been absolutely wonderful learning more about the program today. And um, I think, you know, we haven't been able to get a ton of um, a ton of schools and individuals from the middle of the country. Right. Yeah. And so um, I'm very happy to be able to, you know, showcase um, what Oklahoma has to offer and that, you know, it's not necessarily what people may imagine it 
We don't ride horses to school. Well, there are some schools literally who do, but no, we are more than, (laughs) we are more than we are advanced. We have cars and everything. Yes. People should definitely, you know, we, um, we're very growing. We're thriving Oklahoma city. I mean, we're getting like Capitol grill and a Williams Sonoma and restoration hardware. There's some very fancy areas and there's, you know, some areas of great, great need as well. So, um, but if, if you've ever thought about hanging out with people who are nice and they're a little bit more laid back and they're slow and they like their land and their space. And that sounds great to you. Oklahoma is a great place. Thank you for listening to this episode of the University Series. And as always, if you have questions, comments, feedback, or suggestions, please feel free to reach out to us at operainnovations at adatechnologies.com.